Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The day after the uh, NAFTA, well, it's not called NAFTA anymore. I guess we have to get rid of it because we knew that a couple of weeks ago when uh, Donald Trump said, I don't like the sound of that word. So NAFTA is out. Now it's the USMCA deal, as uh, it has been called, and uh, everybody seems to be happy. Uh, let's drill down a little bit and see exactly what we're in for. Marvin Ryder, of course, from the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University, is with us again. It's a busy day for you, too. It, it probably will be by the time we're done. We're looking forward to the text of this being released later on today so that at the moment, Bill, we're still going to be speculating on it. But once you can actually go through it line by line to see what exactly we had to give up to make the deal, I think when the dust settles, we're all going to be very, very pleased uh, with Mr. Trudeau, with Ms. Freeland, that they really held their ground and we didn't have to compromise as much as everyone feared. So what took them so long? <laughs> well, I, I'm going to phrase it to you like this, Bill. I think we were ready to negotiate. I think it took a long time for the Americans to negotiate. The American strategy for much of the last 15 months was, here's what we want, give it to us, period, full stop. There's no middle ground. And I don't actually know, Bill, why America blinked here in the last week or two, but they clearly wanted a deal because they moved. To give you a simple example, um, we said the dispute resolution was a make it or break it for us. In the last 25 years, at least a half a dozen times, Canada has taken the United States uh, to a tribunal. We had a complaint, and in most of those cases, we won. That's also why America wanted that clause to go. So I didn't see where's the middle ground there. We wanted to go, and we wanted to stay. There isn't like, well, we'll do it halfway. And I think when the dust settles, it will not have been watered down, and we got it back into the agreement. Even the Mexicans who, who didn't fight for this, uh, because they've never filed a grievance under NAFTA, but they're even happy about it. So I, I don't think we're going to have any pushback from Mexico. Whatever we added to the deal, they'll approve. And, and what's interesting about that aspect of it, you talked, and I talked about this last week, uh, in, in Woodward's book, uh, one of the revelations I found astounding was that Lighthizer is a strong opponent of, of that. He did not like it from day one. Uh, which was something he obviously carried with him into the negotiations, but he obviously backed down. Yeah, I, you know, I get where they're coming from in a way. America is always worried about sovereignty, is that don't tread on me philosophy. We're America, stand back, we can do what we want. And their solution had been that you can still file grievances, but they'll be heard by American courts and American judges using American rules. The current mechanism, which remains, we think, still in the new NAFTA agreement, is uh, that there will be a three-person tribunal, one from Mexico, one from Canada, one from the United States, and international law will govern. And this is, in fact, why America lost. They couldn't do just whatever they wanted in the precedence on a world stage. Let's talk about the Sunset Clause, another what we <laughs> thought was a, a contentious point that they dug their heels in. Initially, they wanted a five-year deal. That was it. Uh, it's much bigger than that now. Yeah, so that was, again, Mr. Trump said that here was another problem with NAFTA. Not only was it a lousy deal, but it had been going on for 25 years, so I want to sign a new deal that expires. <laughs> and, of course, his initial idea was five years. Our reaction to that is, well, wait a minute, we've been negotiating for 14, 50 month, 15 months. To have this expire in 60 months doesn't make any sense. And I can actually give credit to the Mexicans. When the Mexicans got their deal with the United States, they got the Americans to move. And so today it's a 16-year deal with a promise to review it every six years. Coincidentally, six years from now would be the time of the, the second American election where even if Donald Trump was reelected, he'd soon be replaced as president. Um, and at that point, you could extend it further. So I think what we've done is we now have a deal that is much longer term with the possibility for more extensions. We didn't touch that at all in the last month. 
And that's, by the way, as, as we've talked about, this is one of those things that they probably should have included in the first one. I mean, uh, to upgrade or to tweak as, as they were using. Because the, the other one, the old deal, of course, was essentially outdated. That, that's really the, the way, best way to characterize yeah, it. Yeah, you know, not in everything, obviously, but here's a simple example. You know, 25 years ago, we didn't have the Internet. We didn't have all these websites. We didn't have buying back and forth across the borders. And now e-commerce is huge. And there was just nothing in the last NAFTA about that. So... You know, these deals do have to be updated thanks to technological change and otherwise. Uh, now, mind you, Bill, just to maybe um, maybe put a little bomb on all of this, the Canadian government under Stephen Harper had a plan to update NAFTA, but it wasn't to negotiate a NAFTA 2.0. It was really the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and that was supposed to replace NAFTA. Of course, Donald Trump stepped away from Trans-Pacific Partnership a month after he was sworn in as, as president. There's another little lovely, delicious irony here. Under TPP, and, and people forget this, Stephen Harper had agreed to phase out supply management in the dairy mm -hmm. industry over a 10-year period. Now, shock the hell out of the dairy people, and there were promises there would be money in cash and transition, but we agreed to give up on it. The minute Trump canceled TPP and said, well, I don't want to be part of that, we took that back out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So the fact that today we, we probably had to make some compromises in dairy they are far less, far less than what Stephen Harper was willing to commit to under the Trans-Pacific Partnership. One report I saw this morning I found interesting, speaking of the TPP, uh, somebody who has knowledge, I guess, of the deal, we, like you say, we haven't seen all the details of it yet, says you will be surprised to find out that almost two-thirds of this new deal is a, a total reflection of the TPP deal. Uh, I don't know if Donald Trump realizes that because he's already <laughs> quashed that deal, but it obviously served as a template for the Canadian side. Yeah, a template framework would be another word for it. So, you know, we've already hashed out many of these things at a table. Just to remind everybody, Trans-Pacific Partnership was originally a 12-country deal, but Canada, the United States, and Mexico were part of it. So it had clauses in there that we had already agreed to between the three of us. So as it was coming forward, it would make logical sense to start from that. The Americans always want more, and so some things they wanted. They they didn't like the idea that we were going to protect what we call our cultural assets. That would be radio, TV stations, what have you, both Canadian content, but also around ownership. Well, that's, you know, that's not the American way. Anyone can own anything at any time. And we said, no, we really want to make sure we don't become America North. And we won on that one. We That still is in there. Uh, dairy, again, if you're a farmer and you're listening to me, any movement I know is too much for you. But I believe you're going to discover that Canada, yes, has had to allow a little more American milk in at a free or low, low, low tariff rate. But I think when you actually see the numbers, it's going to go from something like 3.25% of the market to 3.75% of the market. He's not letting, when I say he, Justin, is not letting American milk just wash over us from sea to sea. There will still be some restrictions, but there will be some movement. I, and I know that, uh, you're right. I mean, I've already seen the reaction from some of the people in that industry, and they're they're shocked by this. But I mean, they had to see this coming. Well, again, given that Stephen Harper had been prepared to actually dismantle the entire industry, if that if that had been on the table that we were going to phase out supply management over ten years, and instead what we got was moving the quota on American milk from three point two five percent of the market to say three point seven five, or even heaven forbid, four percent of the Canadian market, I'd say you dodged a big bullet here, folks, because supply management is substantially still intact. And also, even on that point, Bill. 
much of the milk that America wants to bring up here is what's called industrial milk. It's the milk that in Canada you would then turn into yogurt and cheese and ice cream, what have you. Your drinking milk will still likely be Canadian all the way through. It just doesn't make any sense to change that. And, and this is not really a, a huge, huge change. I realize any change, if you're in an industry, is bad, but also look at what we got, and this is important for Hamilton. I think within the week we're going to hear a timeline for eliminating those U.S. tariffs on steel and aluminum that have not necessarily hurt us at this moment, but we're hurting the prospects for Hamilton Steel Companies in 2019 and 2020 to have those tariffs disappear in, say, the next 10 days or two weeks. That would be huge, great news for this community. Now, I'm looking at media releases, and of course they're saying, well, yeah, those things were not resolved. But we have to put that in context, too, though, don't we, Marvin? Because the U.S. side and the Canadian side both said that's not part of the deal anyway. Well, right. So, But here was our concern. We sign a new NAFTA deal. And this looked like this was going to happen on Saturday. But then Trump is threatening to put these tariffs on because of national defense. Well, then what's the point in having a NAFTA deal if he'll just basically ignore it and put these tariffs on? So we have a side deal. It's not part of NAFTA. It's not within the NAFTA agreement. We have a side deal that talks about the auto sector, but also these tariffs, and tries to get Canada into a different position, that if you're going to do this national security thing, the criteria for Canada and Mexico are a little different than the rest of the world. I think we should sleep better. Now, again, how does this work out? What we said to Mr. Trump is Canada pledges to only ship X number of cars into the United States. And that X is about 40% more than we already ship today. So we're not in any danger of seeing current production levels change. It also, again, buys us time. So if in 10 years from now we're getting close to that limit, we can always visit the next president at that point and say, let's change those. But if we get rid of this threat of tariffs, it's just going to be a dramatic change. And by the way, you know, Bill, the markets have been open for 45 minutes. I think you're going to see a wonderful day on both the Toronto and New York stock markets. This kind of a deal is really groundbreaking, earth-shattering, and it's the kind of great news the market was going to be thrilled to hear about. The auto sector thing's big, though. I mean, because it doesn't eliminate the threat of tariffs, but it certainly blunts it, doesn't it? Blunts it, I think, is the best way to say it. You know, again, any president using whatever cleverness he can find can change some of the rules. But Trump, who'd been using this Clause 232 as a sledgehammer, if I don't like you, it really wasn't national security. I mean, that was the name of it. But it was really, I don't like you or I don't like what you're doing. Slam, I'm going to put these tariffs on. It blunts that dramatically. It doesn't change it for the rest of the world. So if I'm the European Union, who considers themselves a friend, or I'm Korea, or I'm India, who consider themselves friends of the United States, it doesn't change Trump's use of this hammer on them, but it changes it on us. And and it goes back to what we've said all along. We're your best friend in the world. Why the heck would you do that to your best friend? And I think it now really limits what Trump is going to do to us. You mentioned the markets reacting to this. I mean, that's something that really seemed to get lost in a lot of the discussion about uncertainty. Markets don't like uncertainty. And and this, I would think, is going to go a long way towards calming the waters. Absolutely. And there's a political end to this. I mean, we all know about the midterm elections coming up in the States. Uh, and, and this is something that the president can and probably will at 11 o'clock this morning when he has his press conference, uh, wave up and down, said, I won. I, I, he, he will. This is going to sell great in Wisconsin and, <laughs> and Michigan and New York State. He will, and he'll go to his rallies, and he'll say that. And again, I've got to get Canadians to pull back and say, let Donald Trump have his moment. 
He'll say whatever he says because he's always said whatever he says. Just don't you overreact to that. Look at the text. Look at our people. Understand that we had really good people there at the table negotiating on our behalf. And and this this is a modernization of a deal that needed to be modernized. And I'm I'm not the least bit worried about this going forward. But you're right. Markets hate uncertainty. And and here's just another variation on this. In about two weeks' time, the Bank of Canada is going to take another look at our uh, interest rates. We've had a lot of growth in the economy this year. It seemed likely it was going to go up, but I also thought they were going to pause because if you didn't know the outcome of NAFTA, how dare you increase the rates in uncertain times? Instead, now, I think with this bit of news, you can pretty much bank on the fact the Bank of Canada is going to increase interest rates another 0.25%. Oh, that's great news. <laughs> uh, there's there's got to be a downside to just about everything here. Uh, what does this do to the Canadian economy, though, and the uncertainty? We talk about what's going on in the U.S., and there were some concerns. I know they, they still maintain that their economy is booming. Uh, it's taken a bit of a hit in the last little while. But does does this calm the waters up on this side of the border Absolutely. too? Yeah, absolutely. Both sides, both sides of the border are going to like this. And I should actually say three sides because Mexico will like it too. Their economy is no different than ours. They don't like uncertainty. It's really going to be great news for all of us. But, you know, Bill, I want to I position this on a world stage. Canada does come out a winner on this. Canada comes out on the world stage as a country that stood up to Mr. Trump, stood their ground, and got a good, solid deal. They didn't have to go cap in hand and capitulate. And the rest of the world is interested in trading with us. We know China's interested in trading with us. England, if they should happen to secede from the <laughs> European Union, which it's looking like they may do, but they would like to have a free trade deal with us. There are other countries out there that want to do this. Canada looks really good as a result of all of this. And so for the moment anyway, we have a window of opportunity. And I think, and I know people always hate it when our, our prime minister hops on a plane and flies around the world, oh, he's just taking holidays. But there's an opportunity now for Justin to meet with people in other countries around the world and establish more free trade deals, which would all be great news for Canada. Is that one of the takeaways from this thing? I know Perrin Beatty, who was the president of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, has already suggested, in hindsight, uh, this teaches us a lesson, I'm paraphrasing, that we can't put all our eggs in the American basket. We need to diversify and get other trade deals. Is, is that one of the takeaways? Well, I'll say yes, but... Uh, I think Parent Beatty is being unkind. Even Stephen Harper knew that we just could not tie ourselves completely to the American economy. Bill, we know that within the next 10 years, the dominant world economy is going to be China. There's nothing Donald Trump can do to stop that. And within another 20, 25 years, India will be the second largest economy in the world. Possibly by the end of this century, Indonesia could be in there, or the Philippines could be number three. So what we have to do today is lay the groundwork for trade to those nations down the road, nations with whom we don't necessarily share a language or a culture. And if we don't start laying that foundation today, we are in danger of being left behind. But having said that to you, Justin Trudeau's uh, handling of this matter, Christia Freeland's handling of this matter on the world stage has scored points and the rest of the world has noticed. And so if we want to go to those countries and talk, they're now much more willing to listen. We are not seen as America's puppet. Oh, you're just going to do whatever they tell you to do. No, we stood up and we got a good deal. That's, that's admired on the world stage. They keep referring to this, though, as a deal in principle. Uh, yes. What, what has to happen here? Is, can somebody put the kibosh on this thing yet? All right. So what happens next? Today, at uh, some point this morning, text the actual text of the deal gets released. It gets released to the Mexican Senate. It gets released to the American House of, Com uh, I mean, House of Representatives and Senate. And they have a 60-day period to hold hearings, suggest any changes they want. 
Now, the belief is that Mexico will not make any changes, and in fact, their Senate and House will approve it, and the outgoing president of Mexico will sign this deal by December the 1st, which is the day he leaves office and the new president, Lopez Obrador, takes over. Congress, on the other hand, has to adjourn fairly quickly <laughs> to do their midterm elections. Yeah. So we don't believe the American Congress is going to ratify, ratify this. They'll hold hearings, but they will not ratify this deal until some point in 2019. And Canada, I think, again, would be wise, even though Justin's got the majority in Parliament, to just not rush this through this fall. Let us not be the first to sign off on this deal. Let's see where the Americans are going to go just on the off chance some changes come up. So just so everyone understands, the new NAFTA, USMCA, actually is not in effect at this moment. It won't be effective until all three nations ratify it. You're probably looking at May or June of 2019 for that to happen. But then the flip side is it will certainly be done before the fall election of 2019. Justin wants to be able to go out and say, look what I did for you, Canada. Yeah, there's a story today from the uh, the Mexican president suggesting that maybe they could sign this, uh, he's, I think it's the end of November, uh, there's a G20 in Buenos Aires, and uh, they said, you know what, would the three of us could go off to a side room there and do this. That seemed a little premature. <laughs> well, you can do that. Uh, I know it's always confusing to people, even with the Trans-Pacific Partnership, for instance. The 11 nations had a meeting, and they all had a ceremonial signature, you know, the nice flowery pens, and they pat each other on the back. But just because you sign it or you endorse it doesn't mean it's in force until your country actually ratifies it. Even today, Bill, CETA, the free trade deal that we've talked about with Europe, is still actually being being approved by various nations and subsections of the nation's provinces, territories. It still hasn't all been done yet, even though the European Union has approved it. So they are complicated deals and they take a while to ratify. But normally, if the people at the top like it, the people underneath are going to come on board too. So I'll ask you the same question I asked Mike Lucatur from Global. Are we friends again now? I think I think we can kiss and make up. I, I you know it's like any tough argument you have with a friend. You might need a day or two on your own to recoup. But I would think certainly by Christmas time we'll be sending presents as always back and forth. Well, and, and again we have to uh, differentiate what came out of the White House on the Twitter account and what was going on in the boardroom. And and I guess if, as we analyze what happened over the last year or so. Uh, there was an awful lot of goodwill between an, a number of other U.S. politicians, governors, etc., uh, etc., et right. congressional leaders that uh, that wanted this deal to happen right. and were pushing for Canada to be a part of this. And then, of course, there's that phone call that the prime minister made to the Mexican president uh, just before the weekend, which really seemed to get Mexico on side. Yeah, I mean, we had, we had many supporters in all this. The only problem was that goodwill was starting to get stretched a little bit, Bill. They, they weren't panicked on September 1st, take a month, sort it out, we understand. But as the month was coming towards an end and we didn't seem to have a deal, they said, look, folks, we can't keep this up forever. we got to get something. Can't you do something, Canada, to throw us a bone here? So there was pressure on Canada to come around towards the end, even from our friends, because there was just so much of basically holding Donald Trump at bay that they could do. But Today, signing it, those governors who stood with us, those people in the Senate and the House who stood with us, the Mexican president, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the mayors, they're all going to say, ha, you see, good, Canada came around, and we have a great deal because of it. Well, we'll see how they spin it. Uh, the White House at 11 o'clock and, of course, uh, up in Ottawa at 12. Thanks, as always, Marvin. My great pleasure, Bill. Here today. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.